Book Five, Chapter Six of Camilla. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Velwest. Camilla, or A Picture of Youth by Fanny Burney. Book Five, Chapter Six A Chat. The calm sadness with which Camilla had opened her letter was soon broken in upon by the interest of its contents, the view it displayed of her duties, her shame at her recent failures, and her fears for their future execution, and yet, more than all, by the full decision in which it seemed written that the unhappy partiality she had exposed had been always and would for ever remain unreturned. She stared at the intimation, how near she stood to detection, even from Edgar himself, and pride, reason, modesty, all arose to strengthen her with resolution, to guard every future conflict from his observation. The article concerning fortune touched her to the quick. Nothing appeared to her so degrading as the most distant idea that such a circumstance could have any force with her. But the justice done to Edgar she gloried in as an apology for her feelings, and exculpatory of her weakness. Her tears flowed fast at every expression of kindness to herself. Her burning blushes dried them up as they were falling at every hint of her feebleness and the hopelessness of its cause but wholly subdued by the last paragraph with which reverence she pressed to her lips she offered up the most solemn vows of a strict and entire observance of every injunction which the letter contained she was thus employed, unnoticing the passage of time, when Mrs. Arlberry tapped at her door and asked if she wished to dine in her own room. Surprised at the question, and ashamed to be thus seen, she was beginning a thousand apologies for not being yet dressed, but Mrs. Arlberry, interrupting her, said, "'I never listen to excuses. Tis the only battery that overpowers me.' if by any mischance and in an evil hour some country cousin not knowing my ways or some antediluvian prig not minding them happen to fall upon me with formal speeches where i can make no escape a fit of yawning takes me immediately and i am demolished for the rest of the day camilla attempting to smile promised to play the country cousin no more Mrs. Alberry then observed she had been weeping, and taking her hand with an examinating look. "'My lovely young friend,' she cried, "'this will never do.' "'What, ma'am? How? What?' "'Nay, nay, don't be frightened. Come down to dinner, and we'll talk over the hows and the whats afterwards. Never mind your dress. We go nowhere this evening, and I make a point not to suffer anybody to change their attire in my house, merely because the afternoon is taking place of the morning. It seems to me a miserable compliment to the mistress of a mansion to see her guests only equip themselves for the table. For my part, I deem the garb that is good enough for me good enough for my geese and turkeys, apple and oyster sauce included. Camilla then followed her downstairs. 
where she found no company but Sir Sedley Clarendell. "'Come, my dear Miss Tyrold,' said Mrs. Arlberry, "'you and I may now consider ourselves as tete-a-tete. Sir Sedley won't be much in our way. He hears and sees nothing but himself.' "'Ecstatically flattering that!' cried Sir Sedley. "'Dulcet to every nerve!' oh i know you listen just now because you are yourself my theme but the moment i take another you will forget we are either of us in the room inhuman to the quick cried he barbarous to a point this is a creature so strange miss tyrold said mrs arlberry that i must positively initiate you a little into his character or rather into its own caricature for as to character he has had none intelligible these three years see but how he smiles at the very prospect of being portrayed in defiance of all his efforts to look unconcerned yet he knows i shall shew him no mercy but like all other egotists the only thing to really disconcert him would be to take no notice of him make him but the first subject of discourse and praise or abuse are pretty much the same to him oh shocking shocking killing past resuscitation abominably horrid i protest oh i have not begun yet this is an observation to suit thousands but do not fear you shall have all your appropriations Miss Tyrold, you are to be auditor and judge, and I will save you the time and the trouble which deciphering this animal, so truly a nondescript, might cost you. What a tremendous exordium! Distressing to a degree! I am argued with trepidation! Oh, you wretch! You know you are enchanted! But no further interruption! I send you to Coventry for the next ten minutes! this man my dear miss tyrold whom we are about to delineate was meant by nature and prepared by art for something greatly superior to what he now appears but unhappily he had neither solidity of judgment nor humility of disposition forbearing meekly the early advantages with which he set out in life a fine person fine parts and a fine estate all dashed into consciousness at the presuming age of one-and-twenty by this aggregate of wealthy of mental and of personal prosperity he has become at once self-spoilt and world-spoilt have you known him as i have done before he was seized with this systematic affectation which i am satisfied causes him more study than the united pedants of both universities could inflict upon him you would have seen the most delightful creature breathing a creature combining in one animated composition the very essences of spirit of gaiety and of intelligence but now with everything within his reach nothing seems worth his attainment he has not sufficient energy to make use of his own powers he has no one to command him and he is too indolent to command himself he has therefore turned fop from mere wantonness of time and talents from having nothing to do no one to care for and no one to please take from him half his wit and by lessening his presumption you will cure him of all his folly 
rob him of his fortune and by forcing him into exertion you will make him one of the first men of his day deface and maim his features and figure and by letting him see that to appear and be admired is not the same thing you will render him irresistible have you done cried the baronet smiling i protest said mrs arlberry i believe you are little touched and i don't at all want to reform you a perfect character only lulls me to sleep obliging in the superlative i must then take as a consolation that i have never given you an up never clarendel i assure you and yet i don't hate you vice is detestable i banish all its appearances from my coteries and i would banish its reality too were i sure i should then have anything but empty chairs in my drawing-room but foibles make all the charm of society they are the only support of convivial raillery and domestic wit if formerly therefore you more excited my admiration it is now believe me you contribute most to my entertainment condoling to a phenomenon i have really then the vastly prodigious honour to be exalted in your fair graces to the level of a mountebank a quack doctor his merry andrew or any other such respectable buffoon pete pete i declare this exceeds my highest ambition but i must not weaken the impression by dwelling upon it she then asked camilla if she had any message for cleves as one of her servants was going close to the park gate camilla glad to withdraw said she would write a few words to her father and retired for that purpose what in the world my dear clarendel said mrs arlberry can i do with this poor thing she has lost all her sprightliness and vapours me but to look at her she has all the symptoms upon her of being in the full meridian of that common girlish disease and hopeless passion poor little tender dove cried the baronet twould be odious to cure her unfeeling to excess what in nature can be half so mellifluously interesting i shall now look at her with most prodigious softness ought one not to sigh as she approaches the matter to be sure is silly enough answered mrs arlberry but this nonsense apart she is a charming girl besides i perceive i am a violent favourite with her and flattery my dear clarendel will work its way even with me i really owe her a good turn else i should no longer endure her for the tender passion has terribly flattened her if we can't restore her spirits she will be a mere dead weight to me oh a very crush a cannon-ball would be a butterfly in comparison but who is the irresistible what form has the little blind traitor assumed oh assure yourself that of the first young man who has come in her sight every damsel as she answers the world has some picture ready painted upon her imagination of an object worthy to enslave her and before any experience forms her judgment or any comparison her taste she is the dupe of the first youth who presents himself to her in the firm persuasion of her ductile fancy that he is just the model it had previously created 
she then added she had little doubt but young mandelbert was the hero from their private conferences after the raffle and from her blushes when forced to name him nay nay this is not the first incongruity said the young baronet not romantic to outrage beech park has nothing very horrific in it nothing invincibly beyond the standard of a young lady's philosophy depend upon it that's the very idea its master has conceived of the matter himself you wealthy cavaliers rarely want flappers to remind you of your advantages that mandelbert you must know is my aversion he has just that air and reputation of faultlessness that gives me the spleen i hope for her sake he won't think of her he will lead her a terrible life a man who piques himself upon his perfections finds no mode so convenient and ready for displaying them as proving all about him to be constantly in the wrong however a character of that stamp rarely marries especially if he is rich and has no obstacles in his way what can i do then for this poor thing the very nature of her malady is to make her entertain false hopes i am quite bent upon curing them the only difficulty according to custom is how i wish you would take her in hand yourself i preposterous in the extreme what particle of chance should i have against mandelbert oh you vain wretch to be sure you don't know that though he is rich you are richer and oh doubtless you never took notice that though he is handsome you are handsomer as to manners there is little to choose between you for he is as much too correct as you are too fantastic in conversation too you are nearly upon a par for he is as regularly too right as you are ridiculously too wrong but oh the charm of dear amusing wrong over dull commanding right you have but to address yourself to her with a little flattering distinction and mandelbert ever after will appear to her a pedant what a wicked sort of sprite is a female wit cried sir sedley breathing only in mischief a very will-o'-the-wisp personified and petticoated shining but to lead astray dangerous past all fathom have the goodness however my fair jack-o'-lanthorn to intimate what you mean i should do with this languishing dulcina should i deliver her from thraldom you don't advise me i presume to take unto myself a wife i protest i am shivered to the utmost point north at the bare suggestion frozen to an icicle no no i know you far too confirmed an egotist for anything but an old bachelor nor is there the least necessity to yoke the poor child to the conjugal plough so early the only sacrifice i demand from you is a little attention the only good i aim at for her is to open her eyes which have now a film before them and to let her see that mandelbert has no other preeminence than that of having been the first young man with whom she became acquainted never imagine i want her to fall in love with you heaven help the poor victim to such a complication 
of caprice. Nay, now I am full south again, burning with shame and choler. How you navigate my sensation from cold to heat at pleasure. Cook was a mere river waterman to you. My blood chills or boils at your command. Every sentence is a new climate. You waft me from extreme to extreme with a rapidity absolutely dizzying. A balloon is a broad-wheeled wagon to you. Come, come, jargon apart, will you make yourself of any use? The cure of a romantic first flame is a better surety to subsequent discretion than all the exhortations of all the fathers and mothers and guardians and maiden aunts in the universe. Save her now, and you'll serve her for life, besides giving me a prodigious pleasure in robbing that frigid Mandelbear of such a conquest. Unhappy young swain, I pity him to immensity. How has he fallen thus under the rigor of your wrath? Do you banish him your favor like another Aristides, to relieve your ear from hearing him called the just? Was ever illusion so impertinent? Or, what is worse, for aught I can determine so true? For certainly he has given me no offense, yet I feel I should be enchanted to humble him. Don't be concerned for him, however. You may assure yourself he hates me. There is a certain spring in our propensities to one another that involuntarily opens and shuts in almost exact harmony, whether of approbation or antipathy, except, indeed, in the one article of love which, distinguishing nothing, is ready to grasp at anything. But why have you not recourse to the gallant cockade? The major, oh, I have observed already, she receives his devoirs without emotion, which, for a girl who has seen nothing of the world, is respectable enough, his red coat considered. Whether the man has any meaning himself, or whether he knows there is such a thing, I cannot tell. But, as I do not wish to see her surrounded with brats, while a mere brat herself, it is not worth inquiry. You are the thing, Clarendel, the very thing. You are just agreeable enough to annul her puerile fascination, yet not interesting enough to involve her in any new danger. Flattering past immutability, divine Albariana. Uh, girls in general, continued she, are insupportable nuisances to women. If you do not set them to prate about their admirers or their admired, they die of weariness. If you do, the weariness reverberates upon yourself. Camilla here returned. She had written a few lines to Eugenia to enforce her reliance upon Edgar, with an earnest request to be sent for immediately, if any new difficulty occurred. And she had addressed a few warmly grateful words to her father, engaging to follow his every injunction with her best ability. Sir Sedley now rung for his carriage, and Camilla, for the rest of the evening, exerted herself to receive more cheerfully the kind civilities of her lively hostess. End of chapter 6